teaching somebody who's constantly doing the same thing over and over again. You know why? Because it brings uniformity and it brings the needful foundation that we see in Scripture. It really does denote that word. It's an amazing thing. A choir director who diligently trains the singers over a long period of time of rehearsal so that they are able to perform. It's an amazing thing. That's why when I get up here, Brother Dean gets up here, any pastor gets up in this pulpit, we are doing this thing. We are teaching the same thing in unity. Because why? We want our choir, if I, can, if I can illustrate it that way, the church. We want you all in unison with the foundational doctrines of the church, with the foundation doctrines, foundational doctrines of what? The Bible. And so we see us. Now, I know you, you're envisioning right now a choir, what a choir director you know, looks like. He's up here doing this. I don't do this all the time. Back when I used to lead singing, I remember a good brother said one time, Brother Mike, <coughs> How about if you just preach? And uh, and because I used to, I used, to, I was a fundamental. You know what I mean? I used to sit up here and do this thing, and he'd go, "Why don't you let Isaac and some of the other brothers, you know, let them lead the music?" And you know what he said? We don't need a choir director at the music time, but we do need one here. You do need a man who is going to get up and who's going to stand and he's going to direct you soundly in the word of God. In fact, John MacArthur said this. He said, it is the ability to pass on truth in a systematic progression so that one receives it, listen, implements it, and there is a change of behavior in the one who hears it. This is why he said it's a long period of time. Unfortunately, in our churches today, people don't stay long enough to get, to get the instruction. It's a stunning thing. That's why that unity we saw earlier in the text is such a glorious and Holy Spirit-led thing because there was unity. And Paul is able, and Barnabas and Silas, they're able to be these men who are teaching and instructing the Word of God over and over again to them, which is really quite an amazing thing. In fact, if you look at the perfect teacher, and brothers and sisters, you're not looking at him by any stretch of the imagination. If you look at the perfect preacher, and you are not looking at the perfect preacher by any stretch of the imagination, but there is one who was, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the perfect preacher, and he was the perfect teacher. In fact, look what he says to his disciples, and again, a very familiar portion of Scripture. This idea, how long was Jesus, uh, and, and I don't mean this in any kind of a derogatory sense, but I'm just saying the word is literally used here again. How long was Jesus a choir director to the disciples? Three and a half years. He kept teaching them over and over the same thing. Here's what it is. I'm going to go to the cross. And even, even when it gets near the cross and, and he's going to die, one of the disciples still says, may it never be, Lord. No, 
no, Satan, you get behind me. This is my purpose. And he's still teaching right to the very end. Look here, if you would, in your, in your Bibles with Matthew chapter 4. Turn with me there again, a very familiar portion of Scripture. But here we have it again. The perfect preacher, the perfect teacher, setting the example, saying, here's what we do. This is what we do. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Look at verse number 19. And, and really what you see here, brethren, is, is a, a threefold portion of Jesus' earthly ministry. And look at two, the healing part now. He was God. He raised the dead and he healed. He did all these things. But the things that are passed on to us are the things that we see in the book of Acts, the preaching and the teaching. That's what we do. We are the choir directors. The elders and leaders of the church should be those kind of men. Notice I said men. I know it hurts your feelings. Well, not you guys. We got a bunch of fundamentalists in our congregation here this morning. And we all understand there's no such thing as a woman pastor. It doesn't exist. I'm sorry your feelings are hurt if they are, but they are not. They cannot love their wives as, as they ought to, as is instructed by the men. Again, there's, that's a whole other rabbit hole. Not really a rabbit hole, but a biblical truth that we could go down. But it's left here to these instructions. Look at Jesus as he sets this glorious example, and this is something that carries on all the way to the end of his, of his ministry. Look at verse 19. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. You want to learn how to be fishers of men? I know you can catch fish, but let me show you how to fish for men. Let me show you how to biblically do this. Let me set the example, and he's much more than an example, but he's laying out the structure of it for his disciples. And verse 20, and they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Isn't this amazing? And they immediately left the ship and their father. That's a calling of God. That's, that's what happens. Immediately they left the ship and their father and followed him. Look at verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. You see that there? He's being, if you will. And I don't mean this again. This is a capital C. <laughs> okay, nothing unholy about this. He's being and sitting in their synagogue, a choir director. He's teaching them. Look what else he's doing in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing, and that was his threefold ministry. You and I have teaching and preaching if you're an elder, if you're a man in the church. If you're a man in the church, which we're going to get to when it says, and there were many others who were doing the same thing, every man in this church should be able to take the word of God and teach his family. Every single one of you. That's why we're choir directors. We're teaching you to help supplement what's going on in your home, to teach your children, your family, your wife. Now, you know, Terry and Ken don't have any, well, any children at home anymore. So Ken's teaching Terry. Amen? That's how it works. That's why we believe in the family here, the structure of the family, the head of the home, who is under the head of Christ. Amen? The wife who's under him. There's a structure, an order, a holy order, if you will, to these things. But this is why we do it, because Jesus did. In fact, look at Acts chapter 1, the very first verse. <laughs> look at how Acts opens. The very first verse, Acts chapter 1. Well, what would be the first verse? Verse number 1. Look what it says. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and what? Teach. Our 
the inspired history of church opens with them reminding him of what Jesus was doing. He was teaching them. He was instructing them. He was indeed, over and over again, being a choir director, if again in a holy way, teaching them over and over the sound foundational things that they needed to know. That's what Paul and Barnabas and Silas are doing. They are teaching, and they are continuing to teach, because again, the threat that takes place. In fact, I'll give you the verse, Acts 18, verses, well, let's just turn there. It's right there. Look at Acts chapter 18. This, again, is a pattern that we as Bible believers want to follow. Acts chapter 18. Look at verses 9, 10, and 11. <clears throat> then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak, and behold, not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set uh, on, on thee to hurt thee, Look at now. Look who owns the people that Paul is going to preach. I can't wait to get to this verse. Look who owns the souls of the people that Paul is about to preach to. It's not Paul. It's not Barnabas. It's not Silas. Look what he says. I have much people in this city. God does. God's souls are there, and Paul is simply going to go there. And what's he going to do when he gets there? God is sending him. Look what he says. And he continued there a year and six months. What? Teaching the word of God among them. Again, brethren, this is the pattern we see in Scripture. It's a glorious thing. You know, all of us husbands, again, all of us men should be able to pick up the Bible. And if you don't have a husband at home, if you're uh, single or you have other things, uh, you can still pick up the Bible, ladies, and teach yourself. Amen? But you're still under, if you will, the submission of, of men. Ooh, they're scared you, didn't it? Look at Acts 20, one more, and then we'll move on. But you see this again. Now, brethren, again, keeping in mind, when the church met early on, they weren't meeting in buildings like we have. They were meeting in houses, very much so. And uh, just like we were talking earlier with the sister, the building matters not. It's what's happening within the building. What's going on? Is it in a house or is it public or what is it? But look at Paul here. Look what he does in Acts chapter 20. Again, we know this verse. Look at verse 18. Again, look what the Bible says there. Acts 20. And when uh, they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you all these seasons, serving the Lord in all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befall me by lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you, there's that word, publicly and from house to house. There's Paul again. If I can use this illustration, there he is. There he is again, telling the elders, confirming the elders in the church. Here's what I want you to remember, and don't forget what I've been teaching you and instructing you in. You guys go home, you guys will be dizzy by the end of the day. But this is what you see. This is what we as elders and preachers and teachers in the church are to do. That's why when I get up or Dean gets up or Howard gets up or any man that we would ever allow in our pulpit, they will say the same thing. There will be a common unity amongst them because they're teaching and preaching from this word, from the Bible. It's a stunning thing. Now, brothers, listen. The teacher teaches. The disciple hears. The teacher teaches... The disciple hears and then processes what is heard. And we pray this morning, don't we, that as we hear the word, that we'll be able to do this, to process what is heard. And as the Spirit of God applies that truth, and again, that's the thing. I can stand up here and look at these young men right up here, and I can preach to them all day long. 
And if the Spirit of God is not applying the word to the hearts of them, it is an all in vain. That's all of us. If the Spirit of God isn't applying it, it's like bouncing off the wall. It's a stunning, powerful thing. The Spirit of God, the Son of God, God the Father, all working in unison, amen, to make us and transform us. In fact, this is really as I close with this portion of Scripture. The Spirit of God applies that truth. It affects the believing one's innermost being. It saturates the heart, not just the mind. Now, the mind's important, and that's a twofold thing. There's, people always say that. What is, I know I'm not a, I don't have a tape measure, but there's some distance between here. And it goes from here to here into the mind. That's what we're after, brother. We don't want to just give you information. It's more than that. It is transformation. It is the Spirit of God applying that truth and transforming each of us into, uh, into his image, into the image of Christ. This is what Paul is saying. He's teaching He's doing this so that as the word is preached or taught there, um, that's what will take place. The choir director. Now look back at uh, chapter 15, look at verse 35 again. Not only were Paul and Barnabas teaching the word, but they were doing this as well. And again, the word preaching here is very important. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. They were not only teaching, they were preaching. That word preaching means to discourse on the gospel way of salvation and exhort to repentance, to discourse, to proclaim, if you will, brethren. This word literally means to proclaim, to discourse on biblical truths and call for a belief in them. This is a grace. You realize that when one preaches the gospel, that is how one is saved. But do you realize the preaching of the word also is a grace to those who have already believed? Not only is teaching a grace, but preaching is a grace because the more you hear the word of God preached, the more the Holy Spirit takes it and he, he takes it deep down into the soul. So yes, one of the main functions of preaching is the gospel that saves but it is also preaching the word of God as you sit and hear it as a grace to you that you may grow, as we always say, in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how we grow. This is how it works. This is how it affects us if the spirit of God is there. In fact, look what David did. Look at Psalms chapter 40, just a couple of portions of scripture here. I love going to the old Psalms. I love going back to the Old Testament. I love to see God's consistent continuity in his teaching, his own teaching. We're just simply following it along, amen? We are just simply, if you will, as Paul said, right? Hey, uh, as they are following Christ, follow me. In other words, mimic me. What I'm doing, you mimic. We're just simply mimicking what God has always done. A Bible-believing church always does that. You don't mimic yourself. You mimic what God has done. You mimic what the Apostle Paul taught. You mimic what's inspired Scripture. This is what we do. Look there at Psalms chapter 40. Look what David says, as he's led by the Spirit of God, look at verse number 9. I have what? Preached. What does he preach? Righteousness. Again, this is the idea. He's preaching the righteousness of Christ, or preaching the righteousness of God the Father. To who? I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. <laughs> there, are, there you all are. There you're, there's the choir. There's the singers. David is preaching the righteousness of God to the choir. He's simply doing what all good preachers do, preaching to the choir. 
That takes on a different, it takes on a different connotation, doesn't it? It's amazing. We are contemplating. Please help us pray. We're going to be, Lord willing, having a, Brother Dean's going to talk about it next week at our State of the Church address that's coming. We're going to be, Lord willing, having a church conference in the fall, having some other good little Bible-believing churches, some of their pastors come in and preach on the centrality of the Bible, on the church, the need for the church, and how important it is. And we just want to make sure that our own brothers and sisters will come to it. We don't want to have a, we don't want to have a conference and not have our own brothers and sisters here. That doesn't work very well. But look what he does. Verse 9, I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have refrained, not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared what? Thy faithfulness and thy salvation. There it is. There's that combination of the proclaiming being the, uh, if you will, the, the choir director preaching and directing the choir in things of salvation and in being righteous, a righteous life. That's the effect. That's what it should have on us. If you're a true believer and God applies that, or the Holy Spirit of God applies that word, you shouldn't walk out of here. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever been living your Christian life and there's this sin in your closet? There's something you're doing that nobody else knows about except the Spirit of God and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever had that? You probably got it now. And guess what? I probably have it too. Oh, that's uncomfortable. And you ever been living your Christian life and all of a sudden the Spirit of God says, no more. Stop. That's it. No more grieving the Spirit of God in that way. No more doing that. And he miraculously, it's a stunning thing, takes that thing away from you and allows you to walk in holiness. Isn't it a stunning thing when you consider this? This is what David is saying. I've preached your faithfulness. I've preached your righteousness to the great congregation that they might be what? Transformed. This is what preaching and teaching is designed to do. It isn't, brethren, just to give you head knowledge. I know a lot of people have a lot of head knowledge and their heart's so far away they don't know which end is up. Cold, unloving, uncaring, could care less. May that not be us, brethren. May we be a group of fellow believers who are indeed being instructed week after week and praying that the Spirit of God is, in fact, sinking it deep down into your hearts so that that sin that you have in your closet that you're doing now will not stand. May he take it away. May he take mine too. Amen? Again, it's not information, brothers, sisters. You need to be informed. But there's a spiritual component that sinks it down into the heart of a young man or a woman or a child or a man. That's the searing work of the Spirit of God. And those who sit for long periods of time and sing together and get, if we're going to look here in just a moment, we get on the same oar. We're rowing on the same oar. It's an amazing thing when you consider that. The Lord Jesus, again, in Luke chapter 20, I'll just give you the verse, verse 1. The Bible says there that Jesus taught, there he is instructing, the people and preached the gospel. There's those two together. 
There's the saving work of the gospel that he preached and also his instruction, the instructor teaching them. It's a most amazing thing. It's been said, and I like this. Preaching, listen, brothers and sisters, carefully. Preaching the word of God ushers every believing one out of the world. Do you understand that? When you're saved, when one trusts in Christ, you've been translated to the kingdom of Christ. You are literally ushered spiritually out of the world. Teaching the word of the Lord, listen, ushers the world out of every believing one. Did you catch that? One sense we're ushered out, the teaching of the word and the preaching of the word ushers it out. That's what I've just been describing. As the word of God penetrates your own heart, he'll take that sin thing that you've had and held on to, and he'll take it away. He ushers it out so that we are, brethren, more and more transformed into the likeness and image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise his holy name. Now look back there at Acts chapter 15 again. This is a glorious portion of scripture that sometimes, not always, but people can gloss over it. And this is one I want us to see again. This is a picture of a healthy, a very healthy Bible-believing church. Again, as I said, it shouldn't be just the elders who are teaching and preaching the word of God. There should be others amongst us. And it's a picture of a healthy church. Look at this little phrase that the Spirit of God leads him to put tack right on the end of verse 35. Well, I'm going to read the whole verse. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. What a glorious thing for him to say. Again, a, a glorious picture, if you will, as he closes verse 35, of just, it wasn't just Paul and Barnabas and Silas who were bibliocentric. It was many in the congregation. Many of them were there doing the same thing. They were teaching and preaching the Bible, which is an amazing thing. There were many who had the gifts of teaching and preaching, and they exercised them in Antioch and all around the area. Now, again, we're going to look at this quickly, but I want you to see this. This is really, if you will, the idea of discipleship, the idea of continuing on those sound fundamental things. Brethren, this stuff doesn't happen by osmosis. <laughs> I wish it did. I wish that, well, my you know, they haven't been here in a month. That's a stunning thing. I wish they were all sitting here. But even when I'm at home, and when we're talking about the Bible and stuff like that, and we're sitting there, you know, your children learning about Christ doesn't happen by osmosis. Seth doesn't rub his head against mine and know what I know. People don't rub your temples against each other. Know what you know. Brother, oh, Brother Graham, I wish I could come over and just learn a little, rub a little on you so that I could learn and know what you know. But I can't, and neither can you. This is the glorious thing about being a part of. Listen, brother, and again, you don't have to agree with everything. And listen, I understand that, the fundamental things we all agree on. We talked about baptism this morning just a little bit for some fun, just to have a little discussion. Presbyterians versus big baptizers, Baptists. Amen? It's a stunning thing. You know, you can have differing opinions on that and still be brothers and sisters. You realize that. Yeah, you sure can, as long as you don't add any salvific uh, connotations to it. As long as you're not turning it into salvation. You can gather together, and we were talking about that, how in our own church, we have a, th a policy, really, what would we call it? A biblical play thing in place. That if a 
Presbyterian wants to join the church, they can do that. Understanding we don't agree on the baptism thing, but at the same time, understanding that you won't teach concerning that subject. But we're still brothers and sisters. Yeah. We're still unified in that. That's an important thing, brother. But look here again. This idea of propagating. Can I use that term? Is that too big? Of, no, we're all homeschooled people here. Propagating means to continue it on, to grow it, to continue to grow. So these two young men here, they, they know what that word is. But look at the glorious, inspired, again, example we have of this. It isn't by osmosis. It is teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching. It is passing it on from mom and dad to the children, the children to the children's children, to the grandparents to the grandchildren. Our grandchildren come over and you know what we're doing? Well, we're talking about Noah. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about these things to them. You know, as a grandparent, you're not... You're never released. You realize that. Go in the Old Testament. Look what God did as he propagated the Jewish faith. It was always mom and dad and the grandparents teaching the grandchildren. What a glorious combination. Amen? Samson gets a little older. We'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about biblical sound things because it doesn't happen by osmosis. It happens in this glorious Holy Spirit-filled way. Look at 2 Timothy. Again, a very familiar portion of Scripture to all of us. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verse number 1. In fact, Paul is writing to young Timothy, this young pastor, who is going to show up now next week in chapter 16. Timothy shows up. But listen to what he tells Timothy. Verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to what? Teach others also. Do you see that? That's the propagation of it. That is somebody who's sound in the faith, teaching the sound doctrines to someone else so that they can in turn teach that sound doctrine to somebody else. So you don't end up in a complete disastrous mess. Remember what Paul told Timothy, be careful. Be careful. Meditate on these things and teach them right. Didn't, that, didn't he say that? I'm going to paraphrase. I don't have the verse. I, I know where it is. It's in 1 Timothy. But he says, teach it right. Give much attention to it, to the reading and meditating on the word of God. Why? Because when you are instructing, you will save both you, yourself, and those who what? Hear it. Whew, I got chills. I don't know about you. That sends chills up my spine. Because you know what that does to me? It makes me realize the great accountability that I have. What did James say? Not many of you should aspire to be what? Teachers. For more severe is the judgment on what your hearers hear. One must be very careful. And take it as a high... Can I use that word? Yes. An elder is, is worth honor. The Bible says that. I don't mean that in an unholy way. But it is an honoring thing when God puts you in a place where you're an elder in a church, where you're a teacher in a church, and where you must be very careful. Ooh. It is an unholy thing to stand up and not be a little afraid. I guarantee you, 
If you stand up in front of people and you have your, the message and you've, God's given you the message, you've studied the word of God, and you don't have some guts going on inside of you, there's something missing. You better step down. Seriously. It is a daunting thing for a man to stand before and instruct. To be a choir director to the singers. And by the way, where's Millie? Oh, yeah, she's here. Millie, uh, she heard my singing last Wednesday night. I know she's been praying for me all week long. <laughs> you don't want me instructing you in the choir in that sense in singing. But you do want a sound man instructing you in the ways of God. Amen? This is what this text is all about. It's about that. In fact, let's look at one more propagation. If you think it's just the elder, it's really not. It's this. Look at Titus chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 5 quickly. We'll read them. Are we, are we running out of time already? Look at that. Time flies, isn't it? It's amazing. Verse number 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. And that word sound literally means pure. It is a clean thing. The holy things of God. Speak these things. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in the faith, in charity, and in patience. Look at verse 3. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to wine, to much wine. Teachers of good, what? Things. Teachers. Instructors. Ladies, it isn't just the men. It's the ladies, too, who instruct their families, their children, other women in the church. We've got some aged ladies here who have been in the faith a long, long time. And part of your role as that, as a sound, aged lady in the church, is to take the younger ladies and to teach them. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? This propagation of the faith and of righteousness and all these things that we've seen. There's a glorious, glorious, if you will, temple to all of it. God and his gloriousness. This is indeed, brethren, as I said earlier, a fundamental characteristic of a healthy Bible-believing fellowship. Amen? Where there are many who are indeed on the same oar. We're oaring the word of God the same direction. This is literally what Luke is saying was taking place. Now, my golly, it is 5 to 12 already. My goodness gracious. I thought I would be able to speed through this a little quicker than I have this morning. Um, let us read verses 36, 37, 38, and 39. And uh, there's just so many important things here. Because we just finished up a portion of Scripture concerning a holy unity. The next three verses show us not a unity. Look there at Acts chapter 15. Look at verse 36. And brethren, maybe what I might do uh, is just... Read this, talk for just a moment, and we'll take it up next week because this is so important. I don't want to stream over this. I don't want to zip through this. I want you to see, brother, that there can be a disagreement. <laughs> there can be disagreements between two saved brothers, two men who have the Holy Spirit of God living in there. Obviously, Paul and Barnabas did, and there's a sharp contention. But we notice it's not a sharp contention over anything gospel or biblical. Biblical, is that a word? Biblical. It has to do with the pattern of a man. And in the end of it, Brother Mark, Brother John Mark, I told him, I'm preaching on your name this morning, and 
Sorry, brother, we're just going to read it and probably have to, but we'll take it up next week. Paul sees a pattern in a man who, who left them in the field. Paul says, mm, no, we shouldn't take John Mark with. But here's the glorious thing, brothers and sisters, is that as it starts here in Acts chapter 15, look at verses 36, 37, 38, and 39. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And so this second missionary journey that's starting off right now really started off not so much as a, if you will, a preaching gospel missionary, but more of a pastoral ministry. Again, that was Paul's heart. He was so concerned about the local churches and where they had preached. He says, let us go back and see how they're doing. Let's see if they're holding what? If they're holding on to the faith that was once what? Delivered on to the saints. Let's go reaffirm what they believe. Let's go see what the church is doing. That was his heart. That's what he was always concerned about. In fact, well, he was older than me, but you can just feel in his writings towards the end, this, the, uh, if you will, the tension that he had, the concern that he had for the churches. I mean, it's amazing because what happens, brethren? As soon as soundness stops, as soon as pure doctrine stops, what flows in like a bad flushing toilet? Can I say that? Is that okay? What flows in like a bad flushing toilet? None other than some dirty, rotten, filthy, unholy, bad doctrine that leads the church astray. His concern was always, let us go see how they're doing. But then this happens. Look at verse 36. Verse 37. And Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought, not, thought it not good to take him with, who departed from them in Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. Verse 39. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Verse 40. Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. So, brother, next week, Lord willing, when we are back together, I want us to see that this glorious thing that takes place here between Paul and Barnabas is not the end. And this is something we should always keep in mind, brother. As you think of brothers, like I ran into a brother and sister this week, who were good faithful members here for a long time. And there was a contention that took place. And it's an amazing thing. It was so good to see them. So good to see them. So good to talk to them. And it's always my prayer that when something happens like that, that that same thing can happen with us and them, kind of like it did with Paul and John Mark. <laughs> he leaves them in the field. And ultimately, in the end, we see Holy Writ speaking what? Well of him. Well of Paul and his relationship. There was a restoration that took place. They were indeed, by the end of it, all, can we say it again, oaring on the same oar. This sharp contention takes place over a very important matter, of course. If... I'll use, not to put me and us three elders in the text, but 
if Dean and Howard and I went on a missionary journey somewhere, and I cut out early, <laughs> I'm not going with you guys, I'm not going any farther, I'm heading back. The next time they go on a missionary journey, you think, Brother Dean's going to want to take me with? <laughs> Same thing here. Paul saw this and goes, I don't think it's a good idea. Was Paul filled with the Holy Ghost? Oh, yes, he was. Was Barnabas filled with the Holy Ghost? Oh, yes, he was. And there was this contention that takes place. But again, brethren, if you turn to the four Gospels, which we won't, I'm going to close with this. There's four Gospels in, in, in the Bible, amen? Matthew, what's the next one? Mark. This is Mark, the instrument whom God used to restore and to write the Gospel of Mark. Brethren, practically speaking, and I need to stop, all of us this morning can learn from our sins. All of us can learn from our mistakes. And the glorious thing about the gospel, about our relationships together, is that God can mend it and put it back together. It's a glorious thing. What a glorious practical way to close this glorious unity in the church, this contention that takes place, and in the end, they are indeed unified in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Let's pray together this morning. Father, your word is truth. The Lord Jesus Christ said that he himself is truth. And this morning we have been in a very important portion of Holy Scripture that is indeed truth. And it's all predicated on the truth, being unified on the truth, the faith which was once, all, once for all delivered to the saints. It is the battleground for the souls of men and women and children. It is the battleground that our arch enemy, the enemy of God. In fact, Spurgeon called him God's arch fiend. He's the fiend of the God of the Bible. He's the fiend of the God and the people of the Bible, his children. And that purity of the gospel is something that he tries over and over and over again to muddy, to inject some of the most poisonous. It is the most poisonous poison you could ever inject into, a gospel that saves by faith alone. And that is this thing called works. He injects it in there. He says, oh, Mike, look how good you are. Look what you've done. Oh, my, yeah, God will accept you because you are so good. <laughs> Brethren, there's none good, no, not one. There's none that seeketh after God, no, not one. God is good, God is holy, God is perfect in all of his judgments, his word is perfect, and Father, this morning we have seen again that battle that takes place. Father, we thank you for the gospel as Paul defined it in the letter to the, the first letter to the Corinthians. He told them and wrote to them and said, 
Take your stand. Take your stand on the gospel that saves. And brethren, we all know this, and the church at Corinth knew it, and we are going to repeat it. I'm going to repeat it again this morning. The gospel defined by Paul. That the Lord Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures. That he was buried according to the scriptures. And that he rose again according to the scriptures. That is the glorious gospel in a nutshell. That is what one must, as the Spirit of God, uh, if he, as, he, uh, as he opens up their heart, as he opens up one's mind, who is dead in their sin. That is what they see. We, we sang that song this morning, that, that cross has a glorious attraction to me. Well, that's only one who's been, if you will, awakened from their dead sin state. That one can look at the cross and say, I see there something glorious. And Father, that is what's at stake all the time, every day, every minute. That truth. So Father, we thank you for giving it to us and writing it down, preserving it for us. Some almost 2,000 years later. And we are still protesting. Yes, we are. We are still protesting protesting the adding of anything to the gospel of Christ, even to this very second this morning. And now, Father, as we turn our hearts and our religious affections, our minds, to the Lord's table, again, we are reminded of that glorious truth, that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he rose again from the dead, according to the scriptures, that he ascended into heaven and is seated there. And there is coming a day, amen, there's coming a day when every eye will see, they will look, they will look in the clouds and they will see him coming. And Father, we as a church certainly cling to that and proclaim that. And we're thankful for that. That is our, that is our most hopeful and glorious thing to hang on to, that you are indeed coming for the bride that you made spotless and without wrinkle through your meritorious work that is applied and that is indeed imputed to the lost sinner without any of his merit, her merit, or the child's merit. Thank you again, and we pray these things all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that name that is above every name, the name at which at one time I was a blasphemer using that name in such an unholy way, but as all of us probably have, but that glorious day when you saved us, that name became precious. That name became a name that is above every name. That name became the name that saves. The Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.